Working longer hours? Seeing more patients? Income declining? Is there anything you can do about it? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Wagner. Dr. Wagner is the Chief Medical Officer of Accretive Health in Chicago, Illinois, a company whose clinical compliance program results in more accurate classification of emergency room department patients. Prior to joining Accretive Health, Dr. Wagner was the medical director of a large multi-hospital emergency medicine organization. He is board certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine and a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Today we're discussing the doctor's role and responsibility to the hospital's financial health. Hi, Dr. Wagner. Great to have you back with us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Dr. Rudenberg, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here today. This is a unique concept to me. What's changing that doctors need to get involved in the hospital's financial health? Well, some of the things that I've been looking at lately is pay for performance, and that's really changing in our reimbursement and how we're going to get paid and how we're going to get reimbursed is all going to be tied around some of the quality measures and the core measures that occur within the hospitals themselves. How does the physician affect the hospital's revenue cycle? So what we really see is there's an integration of clinical and financial data so that what we do clinically affects how they're reimbursed financially. So what we write on the chart, how we document medical necessity, affects how the hospital gets reimbursed. How does a physician affect the hospital revenue cycle? There's specific things in the physician's day-to-day life, physician's day-to-day practice that can impact the hospital's financial health. So let's just start from the beginning with scheduling. So a physician refers a patient to the hospital for an outpatient schedule procedure. Often what happens is in that referral process, he goes ahead and doesn't do the correct pre-registration or pre-approval process. So the patient gets there and they can be delayed in the process or they go ahead and get the procedure thinking it's been pre-approved and there is no pre-approval. So that when the bill gets dropped for that procedure on that, to that insurance company, they deny the procedure. And that affects the hospital. Then they're going to have to start fighting on the back end. The physician is going to get a bunch of phone calls to get adequate medical necessity documentation for that procedure. And often that procedure will get denied and there'll be no reimbursement. So if you don't pre-approve the MRI appropriately or the ultrasound or the echo or any outpatient procedure you send the patient to the hospital for, the hospital is not going to get reimbursed. And that would apply to admissions as well? That would apply to admissions as well, unless they're emergent admissions. Is there specific documentation, coding situations that the physicians need to know? How do we best utilize CPT? Right. So as we talked about in the past, the revenue cycle is divided into front end, middle and back end. And on the front end of it, it involves scheduling and pre-registration processes. And pre-registration talks about eligibility and benefits and authorizations and referrals, and then uh, making sure that we have correct advocacy. The billing and coding fits into the middle portion of the cycle, which is in the health information management portion of the cycle. And what's become important is how we document is really influences the DRG. So what we say influences how the hospitals can get reimbursed, especially with the new medical severity DRGs. And they are exactly what's going on with the medical severity DRG? The new DRG system has expanded the number of DRGs by 20%. And in these DRGs, they're divided into the standard DRG. Well, let's use CHF. There's just CHF. There's CHF with a comorbidity or complication, a CC. And now they have what's called MCCs which are major comorbidities and complications. So for your typical CHFer, if you put them in and say CHF, you'll get paid a certain amount of money. 
But if you document acute, decompensated, systolic congestive heart failure, you'll get paid somewhere between three and $4,000 more for that hospitalization just by writing that little bit. Whose job is it to make sure that that gets written in the chart? That's ours. That is our job to do that. Nobody else can make us or have us do that. Right now, it falls on the case managers. It may fall on a clinical documentation specialist within your hospital, if your hospital can afford one or has taken upon that process. Often, there's firms out there that'll come to your hospital and give you a a lunch and learn or a breakfast segment where they give you a one-hour slideshow and say, these are the important points to hit. It doesn't stick. You know, most docs will do it for a couple of days or maybe even a couple of weeks, and then they'll just write a QTHF because we're used to doing it that way. And it's never affected our reimbursement. Why are the doctors so unaware of the differential reimbursements? I mean, you think that would be, it's your bread and butter. You'd have to know it. Well, we don't get paid differently. Our E&M code doesn't change. So we get paid for our level four coding for an admission. We get paid for our rounds daily. We get paid for our interpretation of the EKG or the echocardiogram. We get paid for a cardiologist for the procedure, the catheterization, our Part B reimbursement. But the Part A hospital reimbursement has never affected the physicians. I believe it's going to, but at this point, it has not. I'd like to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Wagner, a physician who's taking care of business. We're discussing a doctor's role in your hospitals and your practice's financial health. So really it comes down to until we get paid for what we write that it's not going to change? So we are in a way, when we document in our offices, we have to document a certain number of review systems, a certain number of systems, and do a certain degree of medical complexity for our E&M codes, correct? But in the hospital... We have to do the same thing in the same documentation to make sure the hospital gets reimbursed. But it hasn't affected our reimbursement. And as far as we understand it, it doesn't affect our patients. And so, therefore, it hasn't affected us, and we haven't focused on that. As we move forward, and you look at it closer, it affects both our hospital's financial well-being. As we move forward into the next couple of years, and as reimbursement changes, it's going to affect our reimbursement. And if you look at it really closely, it affects patient care. I'd like to talk about that a little bit. If yeah, I please. Go right ahead. So when you take care of a patient and you don't document adequately, and you don't write really what's going on, and you don't fill in all the blanks, the next guy that comes and sees that patient, your consultant, doesn't have all the information he needs. The patient gets tests repeated, things done over and over, maybe uh, not the correct diagnosis is placed. Maybe they don't have the correct things done to them overall because the documentation wasn't fully documented. You didn't write the things down. Medicare has a whole bunch of quality indicators that they want us to do now that we're being pushed to do. It's all for the benefit of the patient. It's to improve the quality of care for our patients. I believe, Bill, that if you take care of the patient and do excellent patient care, uh, just the top of the line, best possible patient care, And you document the same way. You do the best possible documentation to document all the great things you've done for your patient. Uh, Then you will get the best possible reimbursement for both you and the hospital. The patient will get the best possible care that they could possibly get. And overall, the system will operate at a much, much higher level. Are there templates available if somebody wanted to look at documentation based on DRG? What are the key points? How does the doctor learn about this? A lot of that documentation is on the CMS websites. There's tons of smaller companies and larger companies that do clinical documentation specialist coding. They'll come and they'll teach you how to document. They'll infuse some management within your system. That's usually done through the hospitals. But you said that doesn't really stick. It doesn't stick unless you have somebody kind of, you know, it's a carrot and stick thing unless they're pounding you with it. I think as we move forward into the next time, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, a couple of the other payers have these pay-for-performance programs that are growing. Even if you look at now Medicare has pay-for-performance programs where they'll pay you up to 1.5% more of your total reimbursement 
based on doing just a few small things. A lot of those are health prevention and disease management things to keep the patients out of the hospital. Does the physician partnering with the hospital by doing better documentation, by doing better billing, or by doing better scheduling and pre-registration, does that give the physician any kind of clout in negotiating with the hospital for a bigger piece of the pie? A lot of physicians are employed by hospitals. There are hospital IPAs that are pretty much owned by the hospital and the doctors are salaried in these large groups. Will they have any kind of more clout by saying, you know, we're doing a better job, we're bringing in more revenue, therefore, when you get the bulk check, you know, let's divide it a little differently here? I think that hasn't been broached yet because we haven't reached that level of excellence in our practices because we haven't taken an active role in doing this. We, as physicians, have taken a passive role in allowing the hospital to educate us and the hospital to push us. And have, they have nurses and documentation specialists in the hospital telling us how to write things and how to do it. The case management team will write the appeals letters and we'll just kind of sign them. We'll occasionally talk to a QIO or a, somebody at Blue Cross Blue Shield. We've taken a passive role to this. And there are very few physicians who have taken an active role in this process. I think as we move forward and take an active role, looking at how we can share in the reimbursement would be an interesting thing to look at. And again, the most important thing, Bill, is that our patients get better care, less redundancy. What will stimulate physicians to take a more active role? I think we need to look at what's going on overall. If we look at the care of our patients and the quality of care they receive in the hospitals, I think it's important for us to understand that we need to make sure that they're pre-registered and that they have all the things they need so that they don't have an increased financial burden. When we really look at that and see that, I think that'll incentivize a large portion of us who really, in the bottom line, really just care about our patients. I think we all sort of sit back and look at our Hippocratic Oath and go, you know, above all, do no harm. The patient comes first. And when we look at that and look at by doing the right thing, by pre-registering them, making sure that all the documentation is there that needs to be there for the patient and for our consultants, we'll see that as we improve the quality of care, we improve both how the patients do in the long term and our financial reimbursement, we will get more involved. Let me take this one step further. We're looking at different models of healthcare, consumer-driven healthcare, a national healthcare, which is going to work better in terms of having the doctors actively participating, actively caring about the outcomes of their patients to maintain that activism. And I'm an advocate of patient-driven healthcare. I think as our patients become more educated, as information becomes more ubiquitous and uh, our patients get smarter. I'm sure you've had patients come to you with internet printings and saying, I want this medication, I want this medicine, look at this and look at that. They're questioning a little bit what we do. And so as that drives forward, we're going to have to partner with our patients to manage their health care. And as we do this, we become greater as patients advocate for themselves rather than just let us take care of them. We're going to have to begin to advocate more for them within the hospital system and within healthcare as a whole rather than allow administrators and politicians to run the system. Yeah, because it, you know, it really seems to me that looking at this, one of the problems that you know, you've sort of brought up is that the doctor sort of never sees the bill. And you don't know what the patient is actually stuck with at the end. And if we go on to a national health care system, it's even going to be further out of the doctor's eyes. All we're going to know is that we're going to get paid something and the patient has to deal with the rest or maybe it'll all be covered. Whereas if we really are faced with the fact and have to look at what's the patient stuck with bottom line because I didn't document or I repeated a test unnecessarily, that unless that happens, we really won't achieve the kind of quality of health care that you're looking for. Right. I and mean, we are definitely not a streamlined process at all. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, I have a friend who was just feeling sick and went to an emergency room and had a workup that included a SED rate. 
He went to his physician the next day, and the physician repeated all those labs and the SED rate, even though the patient told him that he had done all those things. It wasn't well documented. The documentation wasn't transferred to that physician. The patient didn't have his own personal health record to carry with him from physician to physician. It wasn't patient-driven, patient-centric healthcare. The physician wasn't fully vested in the care of his patient because he didn't have to pay for that test twice. He didn't have to know about that test. The patient's insurance is not going to pay for two sets of tests back-to-back, day-to-day. I'd like to thank Dr. Robert Wagner for being my guest. We've been discussing your role and responsibility for your hospital's revenue cycle and your own financial health. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. Hi, this is Dr. David Grimes, Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine. And you are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.